Welcome to this week in nephrology, your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in nephrology has you covered. Our AI-powered podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the nephrology field. Kidney outcomes following utilization of molecular adsorbent recirculating system. Introduction Molecular Adsorbent Recirculating System, MARS, is an extracorporeal system combining conventional veno-venous hemodiafiltration and adsorption to provide rescue support in fulminant hepatic failure. Acute kidney injury, AKI, is common in patients with hepatic failure warranting continuous kidney replacement therapy, CKRT. Our primary aim was to characterize a cohort of patients who received MARS therapy and examine kidney events given the current paucity of available data. Methods Patients initiating MARS in a tertiary care setting from January 2014 through December 2020 were assessed for treatment indications, transplantation, CKRT, kidney recovery, and death. Data was collected using the REDCAP software. Results A total of 49 patients, 67% female, 75% white, received MARS therapy with 29 patients, 59%, requiring concomitant CKRT. Hepatic encephalopathy, HE, was the most common indication for MARS initiation, 55%. In-hospital mortality was 41%, 12-29, among patients who received CKRT versus 10%, 2-20, among those not requiring CKRT, relative risk, RR, 4.15, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.04 to 16.52, p equals 0.044. This persisted following adjustment for pre-specified patient characteristics, all RR greater than or equal to 3.76, all p less than or equal to 0.060. One-year mortality post-MARS initiation was high overall but highest among the CKRT group, 59%, 17.29, versus 25%, Unadjusted RR 2.92, 95% C 1.08 to 7.94, P equals 0.035. Liver transplant after MARS occurred in 41% of patients, 2049. After CKRT, 39% of patients, 929, recovered kidney function prior to hospital discharge. Conclusions Patients requiring MARS frequently have Aki warranting the use of concomitant CKRT, which is associated with a high rate of in-hospital and one-year mortality. Rate of kidney function decline is associated with kidney and heart failure in individuals with type 1 diabetes. Introduction Diabetes is the most common cause of chronic kidney disease, CKD. Urinary albumin excretion rate, AER, and estimated glomerular filtration rate, ECFR, are commonly used to monitor the onset and progression of diabetic kidney disease, DKD. We studied if the preceding rate of kidney function decline, that is, the ECFR slope, is independently associated with incident clinical cardiorenal events. Methods This study included longitudinal data for 2,498 Finnish individuals with type 1 diabetes, T1D. The EFR slope was calculated from five years preceding the study visit. Data on kidney failure, coronary heart disease, CHD, stroke, three-point major adverse cardiovascular events, 
MACE, heart failure, and death were obtained from national registries. The associations between the Eat for Slope and incident events were assessed with multivariable competing risk models during the average follow-up of 9.2 years. Results The Eat for Slopes were associated, P less than or equal to 0.001, with all outcomes when adjusted for age, sex and of a 1c. However, E for slope remained associated only with a composite outcome of kidney failure or death when the albuminuria group and E for at the study visit were included in the model, P equals 0.041. In addition, E for slope was independently associated with kidney failure in individuals without CKD, E for greater than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 square meters, P equals 0.044, and with heart failure in those with CKD, P equals 0.033. However, E for slope did not markedly improve the Model C index. Conclusion The E for slope was independently associated with kidney failure in those without CKD, and with heart failure in those with CKD. However, it is unlikely to have major relevance for clinical practice when the current E for and aluminuria status are known. Feasibility Analysis of Ultrasound-Guided Placement of Tunneled Hemodialysis Catheters Introduction Radiographic fluoroscopy is the current standard for placement of tunneled central venous catheters, CVCs, for hemodialysis. Radiographic fluoroscopy requires structural and personnel infrastructure and exposes the patient to ionizing radiation. Here, we investigate the feasibility of solely ultrasound-guided placement of tunneled central venous dialysis catheters, USCVCs. Methods We evaluated prospectively collected single-centered data regarding safety and catheter function of 134 consecutive patients who underwent USCVC implantation between 2020 and 2021. We used the inset guide wire to visualize the position of the catheter tip. In the case of inadequate visibility by ultrasound, we used intracardiac electrocardiography, ECG, recording or agitated saline. A total of 1844 catheter days were assessed. The optimal CVC position was defined as being within the upper right atrium, URA, and middle to deep right atrium. Results Of the 134 USCVs, 87% were placed on the right side. The primary success rate for optimal tip position and catheter function was 98%. Of the USCVs, 97% were placed solely by ultrasound. Regarding positioning, 6% were in the vena cava superior zone, 70% in the ura and 24% in the middle to deep right atrium, resulting in a rate of 94% with optimal positioning. Effective blood flow averaged 292 plus or minus 39 milliliters per minute there were no immediate procedure associated complications. Conclusion Placement of CVC for hemodialysis solely by ultrasound is an effective alternative to fluoroscopy-assisted placement. Next we will be discussing Kidney International Report article. Epidemiology and Outcomes of Children with Kidney Failure Receiving Kidney Replacement Therapy in Australia and New Zealand. Introduction the incidence and outcomes of kidney replacement therapy, KRT, have been well studied in adults, but much less so in children. 
This study aimed to investigate the epidemiology and outcomes of KRT in children in Australia and New Zealand from 2000 to 2020. Methods Children aged less than 18 years initiating KRT in Australia and New Zealand between January 1, 2000 and December 31, 2020 and reported to the Australia and New Zealand Dialysis and Transplant Registry were included. Patient survival, technique survival, and graph survival were analyzed by Cox Regression Analyzes. Results Overall, 1,058 children, median, interquartile range, IQR, age 11, 5 to 15, years, 41% female, 66% white, were followed up with for a median period of 12.3 years. First KRT modalities were peritoneal dialysis, PD, 48%, hemodialysis, HD, 34%, and kidney transplantation, KT, 18%. Preemptive KT incidence was highest in Caucasian children, 80.4%, and lowest in the indigenous population, 3.2%. There was no difference in five-year patient survival rates between 2011 and 2020, 96.9%, 95% confidence interval, C, 93.8 to 98.4, and the preceding decade, 2000 to 2010, 94.5%, 95% C 90.4 to 96.8, P equals 0.79. There was no difference in five-year death sensor technique survival between 2011 and 2020, 51.2%, 95% C39.1 to 62, and 2000 to 2010, 48.8%, 95% C40.5 to 56.6, P equals 0.27. However, five-year DRAF censored graph survival was significantly higher in 2011 to 2020, 88.4%, 95% C84.6 to 91.4, than in 2000 to 2010, 84.3%, 95% C 80.4 to 87.5, P less than 0.001. Conclusions PD is the most commonly prescribed KRT modality for children in Australia and New Zealand. Patient survival, technique survival, and graft survival rates are excellent and graft survival has improved over the last two decades. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Transplantation. Validation of a Prediction System for Risk of Kidney Allograft Failure in Pediatric Kidney Transplant Recipients, an International Observational Study. Predicting long-term kidney allograft failure is an unmet need for clinical care and clinical trial optimization in children. We aim to validate a kidney allograft failure risk prediction system in a large international cohort of pediatric kidney transplant recipients. Patients from 20 centers in Europe and the United States, transplanted between 2004 and 2017, were included. Allograft assessment included estimated glomerular filtration rate, urine protein to creatinine ratio, circulating anti-human leukocyte antigen donor-specific antibody, and kidney allograft histology. Individual predictions of allograft failure were calculated using the integrated box, iBox, system. Prediction performances were assessed using discrimination and calibration. The allograft evaluations were performed in 706 kidney transplant recipients at a median time of 9.1 interquartile range, 3.3 to 19.2, months post-transplant, 
mean estimated glomerular filtration rate was 68.7 plus or minus 28.1 milliliters per minute slash 1.73 square meters, and median urine protein to creatinine ratio was 0.1, 0 0.0 to 0.4, gg, and 134, 19.0%, patients had an anti-human leukocyte antigen donor-specific antibodies. The IBOX exhibited accurate calibration and discrimination for predicting the outcomes up to 10 years after evaluation, with a C-index of 0.81, 95% confidence interval, 0.75 to 0.87. This study confirms the generalizability of the IBOX to predict long-term kidney allograft failure in children, with performances similar to those reported in adults. These results support the use of the iBox to improve patient monitoring and facilitate clinical trials in children. Next we will be going over articles in the transplantation. Immunized patients face reduced access to transplantation in the Eurotransplant Kidney Allocation System. Background the presence of donor-specific HLA antibodies before transplantation is associated with poor transplantation outcomes. Unacceptable antigens can be assigned for urotransplant kidney transplant candidates to prevent kidney offers against which the candidate has developed clinically relevant HLA antibodies. This retrospective cohort study aimed to assess to what degree unacceptable antigens affect access to transplantation in the urotransplant kidney allocation system, ICAS. Methods Candidates who underwent kidney-only transplantation between 2016 and 2020 were included, and equals 19240. Cox regression was used to quantify the relationship between the relative transplantation rate and virtual panel reactive antibodies, FRIS, which is the percentage of the donor pool with unacceptable antigens. Models used accrued dialysis time as the timescale, were stratified by country and blood group of patient and were adjusted for non-transplantable status, patient age, sex, history of kidney transplantations, and prevalence of zero HLA-DR mismatch donors. Results. Transplantation rates were 23% lower for for 0.1% to 50%, 51% lower for for 75% to 85%, and decreased rapidly for for of greater than 85%. Prior studies showed significantly lower ICAS transplantation rates only for highly sensitized patients, for of greater than 85%. The inverse relationship between transplantation rate and for is independent of Eurotransplant country, listing time, and zero HLA-DR mismatched donor availability. Results were similar when quantifying the relationship between FRA and attainment of a sufficiently high rank for an ICAS offer suggesting lower transplantation rates for immunized patients are due to current ICAS allocation. Conclusions Immunized patients face lower transplantation rates across Eurotransplant. The current ICAS allocation mechanism inadequately compensates immunized patients for reduced access to transplantation. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Hypertension. Specialized pro-resolving mediator improves vascular relaxation via formal peptide receptor 2. Background The resolution of inflammation is an active phenomenon important for switching off inflammatory processes once the harmful stimuli are removed and facilitate the return to homeostasis. 
Specialized pro-resolving mediators, SPMs, such as Lipox and A4, resolve in D1, and resolve in E1, derived from omega-3 or omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids, are crucial for the resolution of inflammation. We hypothesize that SPMs are decreased in hypertension which contributes to the acetylcholine-induced contraction in resistance arteries, which are well known to be mediated by leukotrienes and prostaglandins. Moreover, treatment with SPMs will decrease this contraction via formal peptide receptor 2, FPR2, in resistance arteries from spontaneously hypertensive rats, SHR. Methods and Results We performed a comprehensive eicosanoid lipid panel analysis, and our data showed for the first time that precursors of SPMs are decreased in SHR, limiting the production of SPMs and resolution of inflammation in vivo. This phenomenon was associated with an increase in lipid peroxidation in resistance arteries. Although SPMs did not abolish acetylcholine-induced contraction, these lipid mediators improved endothelial function in arteries from SHR via FPR2 activation at nanomolar concentrations. SPMs also buffered TNF-alpha-induced reactive oxygen species generation in endothelial cells from C57BL-6 mice. Conclusions We suggest that FPR2 and SPMs could be revealed as a new target or therapeutic agent to improve vascular function in arteries from hypertensive rats. Next we will be going over articles in the Hypertension ACC Prepare, a stepwidge cluster randomized trial to evaluate whether risk stratification can reduce preterm deliveries among patients with suspected or confirmed preterm preeclampsia. Background Early delivery in preterm preeclampsia may reduce the risks for the patient, but consequences of prematurity may be substantial for the baby. This trial evaluated whether the implementation of a risk stratification model could safely reduce prematurity. Methods This was a step-wedge cluster randomized trial in seven clusters. Patients presenting with suspected or confirmed preeclampsia between 20 plus 0 and 36 plus 6 gestational weeks were considered eligible. At the start of the trial, all centers were allocated in the pre-intervention phase and patients enrolled in this phase were managed according to local treatment guidance. Subsequently, every four months, one randomly allocated cluster transitioned to the intervention. Patients enrolled in the intervention phase had SFLT1, soluble FMS like tyrosine kinase 1-PLGF, placental growth factor, ratio and preeclampsia integrated estimate of risk assessments performed. If SFLT1-PLGF less than or equal to 38 and preeclampsia integrated estimate of risk less than 10%, Patients were considered low risk and clinicians received recommendations to defer delivery. If SFLT1 PLGF greater than 38 and preeclampsia integrated estimate of risk greater than or equal to 10%, patients were considered not low risk and clinicians received recommendations to increase surveillance. The primary outcome was the proportion of patients with preterm preeclampsia delivered prematurely out of total deliveries. Results between March 25, 2017 and December 24, 2019, 586 and 563 patients were analyzed in the intervention and usual care groups, respectively. The event rate was 1.09% in the intervention group, and 1.37% in the usual care group. After pre-specified adjustments for variation between and within clusters over time, 
the adjusted risk ratio was 1.45, 95% C, 1.04 to 2.02, P equals 0.029, indicating a higher risk of preterm deliveries in the intervention group. Post hoc analysis including calculation of risk differences did not show evidence of statistical differences. Abnormal SFLT1 PLGF was associated with a higher rate of identifying preeclampsia with severe features. Conclusions The introduction of an intervention based on biomarkers and clinical factors for risk stratification did not lead to reductions in preterm deliveries. Further training on the interpretation of disease severity in preeclampsia and the development of additional risk stratification is needed before adoption into clinical practice. The impact of in-center hemodialysis treatment on the everyday life of older adults with end-stage kidney disease, a qualitative study. Background Older adults with end-stage kidney disease experience a diminished ability to perform the activities of their daily life. For those living at home, the initiation of in-center hemodialysis treatment, ICHD, carries a risk of cascading functional decline leading to early nursing home placement and mortality. Research on how older adults adapt to their newly impacted daily life is scarce. Methods Individual semi-structured interviews were conducted using a purposeful maximum variation sample of older adult, greater than or equal to 65 years, ICHD patients living at home. Interviews were conducted between October and December 2018. Interview coding followed an inductive and broad-based approach. Thematic analysis was used to group meaning units into common themes and subthemes. Results 20 patients, 12 females, were interviewed. Analysis resulted in two main themes and seven subthemes. The first main theme showed the impact of ICHD on everyday roles and functioning through four subthemes a stepwise decline in daily activities, managing time, role changes, and an incomplete retirement. The second main theme showed potential areas of remediation through three subthemes the social environment, developing new daily activity patterns, and meaningful activities and goals. Conclusions The older adults experienced a process of adaptation that generally progressed from a phase of initial disruption towards a period of mere survival. Being able to accept a life on dialysis was intricately connected with the ability to perform activities that were personally meaningful. Early and continued support of meaningful activities may prove valuable in breaking or delaying the cycle of functional decline. Next we will be going over articles in the Clinical Kidney Journal. Intact FGF23 predicts serum phosphate improvement after combined nicotinamide and phosphate binder treatment in hemodialysis patients. Background Hyperphosphatemia is associated with increased mortality and cardiovascular morbidity of end-stage kidney failure, ESKF, patients. Managing serum phosphate in ESKF patients is challenging and mostly based on limiting intestinal phosphate absorption with low-phosphate diets and phosphate binders, PB. In a multicentric, double-blinded, placebo-controlled study cohort of maintenance hemodialysis patients with hyperphosphatemia, we demonstrated the efficacy of nicotinamide-modified release, NAMR, formulation treatment in addition to standard PB therapy in decreasing serum phosphate. Here we aim to assess the relationship between phosphate, FGF23, 
inflammation and iron metabolism in this cohort. Methods We measured the plasma concentrations of intact fibroblast growth factor 23, IF23, and selected pro-inflammatory cytokines at baseline and week 12 after initiating treatment. Results We observed a strong correlation between IF23 and CFGF23, C-terminal fragment plus IF23. We identified IF23 as a better predictor of changes in serum phosphate induced by NAMR and PB treatment compared with CFGF23. Recursive partitioning revealed at baseline and week 12, that IF23 and CFGF23 together with T50 propensity were the most important predictors of serum phosphate, whereas intact parathyroid hormone, IPTH, played a minor role in this model. Furthermore, we found serum phosphate and IPTH as the best predictors of IF23 and CFGF23. Sex, age, body mass index, and markers of inflammation and iron metabolism had only a minor impact in predicting FGF23. Conclusion Lowering serum phosphate in ESKF patients may depend highly on IF23 which is correlated to CFGF23 levels. Serum phosphate was the most important predictor of plasma FGF23 in this ESKF cohort. Blood pressure, incident cognitive impairment, and severity of CKD Findings from the Chronic Renal Insufficiency Cohort, CRIC, study. Rationale and Objective Hypertension is a known risk factor for dementia and cognitive impairment. There are limited data on the relation of systolic blood pressure, SBP, and diastolic blood pressure, DBP, with incident cognitive impairment in adults with chronic kidney disease. We sought to identify and characterize the relationship among blood pressure, cognitive impairment, and severity of decreased kidney function in adults with chronic kidney disease. Study Design Longitudinal Cohort Study Setting and Participants 3,768 Participants in the Chronic Renal Insufficiency Cohort, CRIC, Study Exposure Baseline SBP and DBP were examined as exposure variables, using continuous, linear, per 10 mm Hg higher, categorical, SBP less than 120, reference, 120 to 140, greater than 140 mHg, DBP less than 70, reference, 70 to 80, greater than 80 mHg, and nonlinear terms, splines. Outcome Incident cognitive impairment defined as a decline in modified mini mental state examination, 3 MS, scored a greater than 1 standard deviation below the cohort mean. Analytical approach Cox proportional hazard models adjusted for demographics as well as kidney disease and cardiovascular disease risk factors. Results The mean age of participants was 58 plus or minus 11, SD, years, estimated glomerular filtration rate, ECFR, was 44 milliliter per minute slash 1.73 M2 plus or minus 15, SD, and the median follow-up time was 11, IQR, 7 to 13, years. In 3,048 participants without cognitive impairment at baseline and with at least one follow-up 3MS test, a higher baseline SBP was significantly associated with incident cognitive impairment only in the E for greater than 45 milliliter per minute slash 1.73 M2 subgroup, adjusted hazard ratio, AHR, 1.13, 95% C, 1.05 to 1.22, 
Pertenum HG Higher SPP. Spline analyzes, aimed at exploring nonlinearity, showed that the relationship between baseline SBP and incident cognitive impairment was J-shaped and significant only in the EEG for greater than 45 milliliter per minute slash 1.73 M2 subgroup, P equals 0.02. Baseline DBP was not associated with incident cognitive impairment in any analyzes. Limitations 3MS test is the primary measure of cognitive function. Conclusions Among patients with chronic kidney disease, higher baseline SBP was associated with higher risk of incident cognitive impairment specifically in those individuals with E for greater than 45 milliliter per minute slash 1.73 M2. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Kidney Diseases. The Impact of the COVID-19 Pandemic on Patients with CKD, Systematic Review of Qualitative Studies. Rationale and Objective. COVID-19 disproportionately affects people with comorbidities, including chronic kidney disease, CKD. We describe the impact of COVID-19 on people with CKD and their caregivers. Study Design. A systematic review of qualitative studies. Setting and study populations. Primary studies that reported the experiences and perspectives of adults with CKD and or caregivers were eligible. Search strategy and sources. Medline, Embase, PsycInfo, Sinal searched from database inception to October 2022. Data extraction. Two authors independently screened the search results. Full texts of potentially relevant studies were assessed for eligibility. Any discrepancies were resolved by discussion with another author. Analytical approach. A thematic synthesis was used to analyze the data. Results. 34 studies involving 1,962 participants were included. Four themes were identified, exacerbating vulnerability and distress, looming threat of COVID-19 infection, intensifying isolation, aggravating pressure on families, uncertainty in accessing health care, overwhelmed by disruption of care, confused by lack of reliable information, challenged by adapting to telehealth, skeptical about vaccine efficacy and safety, coping with self-management, waning fitness due to decreasing physical activity, diminishing ability to manage diet, difficulty managing fluid restrictions, minimized burden with telehealth, motivating confidence and autonomy, and strengthening sense of safety and support, protection from lockdown restrictions, increasing trust in care, strength and family connection. Limitations Non-English studies were excluded, and inability to delineate themes based on stage of kidney and treatment modality. Conclusions Uncertainty in accessing health care during the COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated vulnerability, emotional distress, and burden, and led to reduced capacity to self-manage among patients with CKD and their caregivers. Optimizing telehealth and access to educational and psychosocial support may improve self-management and the quality and effectiveness of care during a pandemic, mitigating potentially catastrophic consequences for people with CKD. Next we will be going over articles in the Kidney International. A cohort study found a high risk of end-stage kidney disease associated with acromegaly. 
Acromegaly is a chronic systemic disease caused by excess levels of growth hormone and insulin-like growth factor 1 and is associated with numerous complications. Significantly, there is a lack of longitudinal data on kidney complications in patients with acromegaly. As such, we investigated the risk of end-stage kidney disease, ESKD, stage 5D, 5T, in these patients with nationwide data obtained from the National Health Information Database of the National Health Insurance Service in Republic of Korea. A retrospective cohort study was conducted of 2.187 patients with acromegaly and 10,935 age and sex-matched, 1-5, to control subjects without acromegaly over a mean follow-up period of 6.51 years. The study outcomes were analyzed using Cox Proportional Hazards Regression Analysis Controlling for Age, Sex, Household Income, Residential Area, Type 2 Diabetes, Hypertension, Dyslipidemia, Urolithiasis, Congestive Heart Failure, Myocardial Infarction, Stroke, and Atrial Fibrillation. The incidence, per 1,000 person years, ESKD was 2 o'clock among patients with acromegaly but only 0.46 among controls. Hazard ratio 4.35, 95% confidence interval 2.63 to 7.20, implicating a significantly higher risk. After adjustment for covariates, the risk of ESKD, 2.36, 1.36 to 4.12, was still significantly higher in patients with acromegaly than that in controls. Among the covariates, Diabetes and hypertension were significant facilitators between acromegaly and ESKD mediation analysis. Pituitary surgery and somatostatin analogs did not significantly change these associations. Thus, acromegaly may be linked with a higher risk for ESKD both independently and through mediators such as diabetes and hypertension. Peritoneal transformation shortly after kidney transplantation in pediatric patients with preceding chronic peritoneal dialysis. Background The unphysiological composition of peritoneal dialysis, PD, fluids induces progressive peritoneal fibrosis, hypervascularization, and vasculopathy. Information on these alterations after kidney transplantation, KTX, is scant. Methods Parietal peritoneal tissues were obtained from 81 pediatric patients with chronic kidney disease stage 5, CKD5, 72 children on PD with low glucose degradation product, GDP, PD fluids, and from 20 children 4 to 8 weeks after KTX and preceding low GDP PD. Tissues were analyzed by digital histomorphometry and quantitative immunohistochemistry. Results while chronic PD was associated with peritoneal hypervascularization, after KTX vascularization was comparable to CKD5 level. Submesothelial CD45 counts were 40% lower compared with PD, and in multivariable analyzes independently associated with microvessel density. In contrast, peritoneal mesothelial denudation, submesothelial thickness and fibrin abundance, number of activated, submesothelial fibroblasts, and of mesothelial mesenchymal transition cells were similar after KTX. Diffuse peritoneal podoplanin positivity was present in 40% of the transplanted patients. In subgroups matched for age, PD vintage, dialytic glucose exposure and peritonitis incidence, submesothelial hypoxia-inducible factor 1-alpha abundance and angiopoietin half ratio were lower after KTX, reflecting vessel maturation, 
while arteriolar and microvessel P16 and cleave CASP3 were higher. Submesothelial mast cell count and interleukin-6 were lower, whereas transforming growth factor beta-induced MAD2-3 was similar as compared with children on PD. Conclusions Peritoneal membrane damage induced with chronic administration of low-GDP PD fluids was less severe after KTX. While peritoneal microvessel density, primarily defining PD transport and ultrafiltration capacity, was normal after KTX and peritoneal inflammation less pronounced, diffuse podoplanin positivity and profibrotic activity were prevalent. Next we will be going over articles in the nephrology dialysis transplantation. Vitamin K supplementation and bone mineral density in dialysis, results of the double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled Renica trial. Background Vitamin K deficiency is highly prevalent in patients on dialysis and may contribute to their low bone mineral density, BMD, and increased risk of fracture. This study investigated the effect of menaquinone 7, MK7, supplementation on BMD patients on chronic dialysis. Methods In a multicenter, double-blind, placebo-controlled intervention trial, 123 patients on chronic dialysis were randomized to a daily oral supplement of either MK7 plus 360 microgram or placebo for two years. BMD of the distal radius, one-third, mid, ultradistal and total, femoral neck, lumbar spine, L1-L4, and whole body was assessed by dual-energy X-ray absorptiometry. Serum levels of vitamin K1 and MK7 and plasma levels of total osteocalcin, dephosphorylated uncarboxylated matrix gliprotein and protein induced by vitamin K absence 2 were measured to assess vitamin K status. Results After two years, an accelerated BMD loss of the one-third distal radius was found with MK7 supplementation, Mean difference of changes relative to placebo minus 0.023 gram slash CM2, 95% confidence interval, C, minus 0.039 to minus 0.008, whereas the decrease in lumbar spine BMD seen in the placebo group was prevented, mean difference of changes between groups 0.050 grams slash CM2, 95% C 0.015 to 0.085. No significant effects were observed at the remaining skeletal sites. Vitamin K status strongly improved in MK7 supplemented participants. Conclusion Compared with placebo, an accelerated BMD loss of the one-third distal radius was found after two years of MK7 supplementation, whereas a decline in lumbar spine BMD was prevented. As such, MK7 supplementation might modify BMD sites specifically in patients on dialysis. In aggregate, our findings do not support MK7 supplementation to preserve bone in patients on dialysis. Perspectives of nephrologists on gender disparities in access to kidney transplantation Background gender disparities in access to kidney transplantation are apparent, with women being up to 20% less likely to receive kidney transplant compared with men across different settings and socioeconomic backgrounds. We aim to describe nephrologists' perspectives on gender disparities in access to kidney transplantation. Methods 51 nephrologists, 55% women, 
From 22 countries participated in semi-structured interviews from October 2019 to April 2020. We analyzed the transcripts thematically. Results we identified three themes, caregiving as a core role, coordinators of care for partners, fulfilling family duties over own health, maternal protectiveness, and inherent willingness and generosity, stereotyping and stigma, authority held by men in decision-making, protecting the breadwinner, preserving body image and appearance, and safeguard fertility, social disadvantage and vulnerability, limited information and awareness, coping alone and lack of support, disempowered by language barriers, lack of financial resources, and without access to transport. Conclusions Gender disparities in access to kidney transplantation are perceived by nephrologists to be exacerbated by gender norms and values, stigma and prejudice, and educational and financial disadvantages that are largely encountered by women compared with men across different socioeconomic settings. Efficacy and safety of upasacalcidin hemodialysis patients with secondary hyperparathyroidism, a randomized placebo-controlled trial. Background Secondary hyperparathyroidism is a major complication of patients undergoing hemodialysis, HD. Upasacalcid, a new injectable calcimimetic, acts on calcium-sensing receptors to suppress parathyroid hormone, PTH, secretion. We examined the efficacy and safety of upasacalcid in patients with secondary hyperparathyroidism receiving HD. Methods In this phase 3, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, we randomized Japanese patients undergoing HD with serum intact PTH, ith, concentrations greater than 240 pg-ml and corrected calcium concentrations greater than or equal to 8.4 mg-dl. Either apasacalcid or placebo was administered after each HD session for 24 weeks. The primary outcome was the percentage of participants achieving the target mean serum ith concentration, 60 to 240 pg ml, at weeks 22 to 24. Results A total of 103 participants received apasacalcid, and 50 participants received the placebo. The percentage of participants achieving mean serum ith concentrations of 60 to 240 pg ml during the evaluation period was 67%, 69-103, in the upasacalcid group and 8%, 450, in the placebo group. The difference between the two groups was 59%, 95% confidence interval, 48% to 71%. Upasacalcid also decreased serum fibroblast growth factor 23, bone-specific alkaline phosphatase, total type 1 procollagen n perpeptide, and tartrate-resistant acid phosphatase 5B concentrations. Adverse events were reported in 85%, 88-103, and 72%, 36-50 participants in the apasacalcid and placebo groups, respectively. The incidence of upper gastrointestinal adverse events, such as nausea and vomiting, was similar between the two groups. Serum-corrected calcium concentrations less than 7.5 mg-dl were observed in 2% of participants in the upasacalcid group and no participants in the placebo group. Conclusions Upasacalcid, a novel injectable calcimimetic, is effective and safe for secondary hyperparathyroidism patients receiving HD.
Next we will be going over articles in the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. Cowuresis and intracellular uptake of potassium with potassium citrate and potassium chloride supplements, a randomized controlled trial. Visual Abstract Background A potassium-replete diet is associated with lower cardiovascular risk but may increase the risk of hyperkalemia, particularly in people using renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors. We investigated whether intracellular uptake and potassium excretion after an acute oral potassium load depend on the accompanying anion and or aldosterone and whether this results in altered plasma potassium change. Methods In this placebo-controlled interventional crossover trial including 18 healthy individuals, we studied the acute effects of one oral load of potassium citrate, 40 millimoles, potassium chloride, 40 millimoles, and placebo in random order after overnight fasting. Supplements were administered after a six-week period with and without lisinopril pretreatment. Linear mixed-effect models were used to compare blood and urine values before and after supplementation and between the interventions. Univariable linear regression was used to determine the association between baseline variables and change in blood and urine values after supplementation. Results During the four-hour follow-up, the rise in plasma potassium was similar for all interventions. After potassium citrate, both red blood cell potassium, as measure of the intracellular potassium, and transtubular potassium gradient, TTKG reflecting potassium secretory capacity, were higher than after potassium chloride or potassium citrate with lisinopril pretreatment. Baseline aldosterone was significantly associated with TTKG after potassium citrate, but not after potassium chloride or potassium citrate with lisinopril pretreatment. The observed TTKG change after potassium citrate was significantly associated with urine pH change during this intervention, R equals 0.60, P less than 0.001. Conclusions With similar plasma potassium increase, red blood cell potassium uptake and caluresis were higher after an acute load of potassium citrate as compared with potassium chloride alone or pretreatment with lisinopril. Hi, this week in Nephrology, we will be discussing article published in October issues of the Nephrology Journals. First we will be going over articles in the Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. Renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system blockade after Aki with or without recovery among U.S. veterans with diabetic kidney disease. Background Optimal use of angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, ACIs, or angiotensin-2 receptor blockers, ARBs, after Aki is uncertain. Methods Using data derived from electronic medical records, we sought to estimate the association between ACE-ARB use after Aki and mortality in U.S. military veterans with indications for such treatment, diabetes and proteinuria, while accounting for Aki recovery. We used ACE-ARB treatment after hospitalization with Aki, defined as serum creatinine greater than or equal to 50% above baseline concentration, as a time-varying exposure in Cox models. The outcome was all-cause mortality. Recovery was defined as return to less than or equal to 110% of baseline creatinine. A secondary analysis focused on ACE-ARB use relative to Aki recovery, before versus after. Results Among 54,735 veterans with Aki, 
31,146 deaths occurred over a median follow-up period of 2.3 years. Approximately 57% received an ACE-ARB less than three months after hospitalization. In multivariate analysis with time-varying recovery, post-ACI ACE-ARBUs was associated with lower risk of mortality, adjusted hazard ratio R, 0.74, 95% confidence interval, C, 0.72 to 0.77. The association between ACE-ARBUs and mortality varied over time, with lower mortality risk associated with earlier initiation, P4 interaction with time less than 0.001. In secondary analysis, compared with those with neither recovery nor ACE-ARBUs, risk of mortality was lower in those with recovery without ACE-ARBUs, R, 0.90, 95% C, 0.87-0.94, those without recovery with ACE-ARBUs, R, 0.69, 95% C, 0.66-0.72, and those with ACE-ARBUs after recovery, R, 0.70, 95% C, 0.67-0.73. Conclusions this study demonstrated lower mortality associated with ACE-ARBUs in veterans with diabetes, proteinuria, and ACI, regardless of recovery. Results favored earlier ACE-ARB initiation. Thank you for listening to This Week in Nephrology, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.